Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. And Dr. Scripture, I want to start our program today by saying, He is risen. (laughs) He is risen indeed, Scott. And we'd like to encourage everyone listening today with that fact. What an amazing, fantastic thing that is. The man, Jesus of Nazareth was put to death about 2,000 years ago, but he did not stay in the tomb. He was raised from the dead, and all who are Christ's will be too. It's the hallmark of the Christian faith. Our Savior, who is the Messiah of Israel and the Messiah of the entire world, is alive. You know, when I think about that whole concept of a person being the Savior of the world— How much of a savior could a person be if they're dead? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's right, Scott. I suppose many may think that a person could have some influence on the world through an idea or a philosophy they espoused when they were alive in the past and thus have some positive effect on humanity on into the future. But saving the world? Hmm. A person cannot do that unless he is present. So again, when we describe the Christian faith— And let me qualify that by saying the Christian faith as prescribed by the Bible, not the added traditions and teachings (laughs) of men or man's institutions, the world will not be saved by the efforts of mankind as a result of some person's past influence. It will be saved by one man, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And as I think about that, Dr. Scripture, at least one of the reasons we can have the confidence in him and his ability to save the world is that he's demonstrated his power to do awesome, miraculous things by bringing about the heavens and earth in creation. Indeed. And so, without apology, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as it's presented in Scripture, it is a miracle, not just an idea like the metaphor of a butterfly or springtime, you know, but a supernatural event in the physical realm of space and time, an historical event in which the eternal, omnipotent creator reached into his created realm and, how should we describe it? He interfered, he set aside, he made an exception yeah. to the natural laws that govern nature, and he caused the body of a man a body that had been pierced through the chest and into the heart with a Roman spear, a body that had lain dead for three days, the body of Jesus of Nazareth, to be resurrected, and Jesus rose from the dead. That is so wild. (laughs) It is crazy in the minds of so many people. But Scott, I believe that with all my being. He is risen. He is risen indeed. (laughs) You know, Scott, I think this is something... We, as believers in the revealed Word of God, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, should think about more often than we tend to. We're very mindful of Jesus' death and resurrection at this time of the year because we're in the Easter season. But it is a truth that can and should virtually always be in the, at least in the back of our mind, as we live day to day in this fallen, dying world. A verse that comes to mind that directly relates to what you've said is something that Paul said. He is talking about one's daily walk in faith and wanting to know Christ more and more so that he can be more and more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So in Philippians 3.10, he says, quote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, 
end quote. To me, that indicates that when Paul was faced with the trials and suffering brought on by a sinful world, he drew upon his confidence in the resurrection of Christ and the promise that he, too, would be raised from the dead, and therefore he was empowered to live as Jesus lived, no matter what the cost. Yes, and similar to that, Scott, I often am encouraged by what Paul says in Romans 8.18, where he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then further on in verse 22, he continues saying, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now that refers to our resurrection. So in light of the resurrection, we can look at suffering with the perspective that Paul had. And listen to how he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light affliction. How often do we think of <laughs> suffering as a light affliction? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So, Dr. Scripture, in the passage you quoted from Romans 8, we can see a connection between creation and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And perhaps there are some other passages we might look at today which continue the theme of the resurrection and relate it to creation. Hmm, that's a great idea, Scott. (laughs) I just happen to have another in mind. Oh, good. It's not surprisingly from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Ah, the resurrection chapter. That's right. And I want to read an extended section of it because Paul is making a profound argument about the logic for there being a resurrection body, a physical resurrection body. What he does is point out that the things God created have different bodies, and the physical bodies, or we could say the physical properties, of the various things God created are different. And so we should expect that the properties of a heavenly or spiritual body will be different from those of an earthly body, and those differences are created by God. So I'm going to start reading at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. What Paul is doing is he's answering the skeptic that thinks the only kinds of bodies that can exist are the ones we have right now. And here's what he says about that. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 41. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they have? You fool. Okay, so Paul needs to work on his people skills, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he doesn't know about political correctness. (laughs) I guess not. He says, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, let's pause there for a moment. So, Scott, as Paul mentions all those things, what's the clear, we might say, unspoken assumption related to creation in those verses? 
Well, I'm not even sure that it is unspoken. You know, when Paul says, but God gives it a body just as he wished, isn't he referring to the fact that God created all these things? So definitely God's creative power is assumed in Paul's argument. You know, yeah, you're right, Scott. I guess it's not unspoken. (laughs) So there is a clear statement that God created the things which Paul lists there. And the point is, God made everything according to his own wishes. And from numerous statements in Scripture, we know that one of his wishes is that his children dwell with him in heaven. And that will require a different body than the one we have on earth. And so now, continuing in the passage, Paul goes on to make the point that the risen Lord Jesus has a different body, and so shall we. So I'll read verse 41 again and then continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Let me point out there, there's a reference to God creating Adam. Hmm. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then we keep reading verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. (laughs) This is just great stuff. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we'll stop right there. So this bodily resurrection that is being so clearly explained here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is something the children of God have looked forward to going all the way back to the patriarchs. It apparently was more of a mystery to them, but still in faith, they believed in a bodily resurrection. Well, yeah, it says that about Abraham in Hebrews 11. That's right, Scott. Go ahead and read that passage in Hebrews. Okay, it's Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) And just as it was by faith that Abraham understood there had to be a resurrection, it's by faith that we understand it as well. But we have additional information, as it were, to make it even easier to believe. That is, all the evidence surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
evidence that Abraham didn't even have. Well, that's right, Scott. And I think we've got time to look at one other example of the confidence a patriarch had in the fact of a bodily resurrection, and that patriarch is Job. Mm. In Job 19.25, he says, And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. So Abraham and Job, without even understanding totally the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believed in a bodily resurrection. To all the listeners who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf, for the forgiveness of your sin and for his promise of eternal life, be encouraged. Your confidence is placed in the creator of heaven and earth. And if he could do that, he surely can raise you from the dead, causing your mortal body to put on immortality. And with that in mind, you can rejoice with Paul and all the saints of old and say, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't conclude this exhortation here because knowing about the resurrection always has that practical application. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.